It's summertime, and we're in our summer series here at Milestone Church. In our summer series, we'll hear from some of our staff pastors, as well as some honored guest speakers. If you're listening to Milestone Church for the first time, we want to encourage you to check out some of the best series so far this year. If you find yourself with extra time, maybe traveling for summer vacation, we highly recommend checking out our series called Happy. Happy is a three-week series we hosted in March talking about this idea of happiness, why it's so elusive, and what the Bible says about it. We'd also like to recommend checking out one of our most talked about series every year, Let's Talk Family. In this series, Pastor Jeff talks about what's often our greatest joy, but can also be our greatest source of pain, and that's family. We look at the practical ways that we can lead our families based on biblical principles. You can watch these series more at our website, milestonechurch.com slash messages. And now to this week's message. It's great to be with you. How many are glad you are here at this church? How many would agree with me? Man, it is amazing. Of course, we want to welcome those that are joining online, and my wife and I just considered an honor to be here. In fact, my wife of 29 years is with me today. Lord, would you just stand and say hello to everybody? It's great to have you. How many know it's good to travel with your wife? You, you, you behave yourself a lot better. We have three boys. Uh, our oldest one is married. He's at Capitol Hill. He uh, and his wife just actually moved there, working for a congressman out of Texas and uh, went to, well, I have to just let the cat out of the bag. Lori and I went to LSU. I played football at LSU. My son went to LSU. Last week's speaker, I understand, of course, Rick Bazette. I, I know your pastor's smart, but how come you have two people from Louisiana back to back? That can ruin a church. Let me just be honest with you. That'll ruin a nation. And uh, with that, our second son, Connor, he went to Mississippi State, coached at State. In fact, his best buddy is Dak Prescott, and uh, he coached Dak as a quarterback coach with Dan Mullen, then went to Houston and then Arizona State, and now he is offensive coordinator at Evangel in Shreveport at 22 years old. Pretty cool kid. We're hoping he makes it and we'll all retire. And then our baby, Jackson, he's 19 years old. He is at Highlands College in Birmingham, and uh, we have been in Austin now for 19 years, and, and one of the first people I met, in fact, I, I knew him before we moved here, was your pastor, and uh, he really has been one of my dearest and best friends, along with Steve Robinson and some of the others that are family to this church. I remember walking this property with your pastor, and really just praying about, is it the will of God, or what is God going to do potentially from this hill or from this property and, and just walking and, and praying with him and, and hearing him, in fact, consulting and just talking back and forth. We were in the same process, getting ready to buy some property on I-35, 110 acres, and uh, literally our, our churches have become friends through our building processes, and, and you are in some good hands. When you are in uh, and pastored by a man like Pastor Jeff and, and the team here, I can just tell you, you know that God has big things in store for you, because whenever God surrounds a nation like he did with Israel, with wise men and women, or whenever God surrounds you with wise men and women, it is an indication of the favor and the blessing of the Lord, and he's got great things in store. And so with that, I, I was not raised in church. I, I did not know a thing about the Lord. My mom and my dad, wonderful people, they were the typical, at that time, family that came out of the, the Great Depression or compression. 
and mom and dad were from Mississippi, and after the war, my dad, after serving in the war, found my mother at Mississippi State in the 40s, and then after, after graduating, my dad went right into football. He became an NFL football player, and then began his coaching career in the 50s, and and church was just not a part of our lives, and my brothers were born in the 50s, and then I was born in 64. My dad was coaching for the BC Lions at that time, and, and so I, I, if I continue to see where Austin's going in the next couple of years, I'm going to migrate north. Anyway, with that, we, uh, we lived all over the U.S. in Canada. My dad was with uh, eight different NFL teams. NFL stands for not for long, and uh, we were not for long anywhere. And one thing we were not ever in, and that was church. Mom and dad said, that's your job to find out whatever you want to be or wherever spiritual route you want to go. And I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 14 years of age. Greg Brzezina and Ralph Ortega, they were linebackers for the Falcons during this training camp of 78 when dad was with the Falcons. He was with the Jets and the Packers and the Cardinals twice and the Saints and blah, blah. And so these two guys brought me into their dorm room after a practice and began to share with me the love of Jesus. And they said, Joe, God loved you so much that he died for you. I'm 14. I've never heard this before in my life. And my mom and dad were not anti-Christ. In fact, they would have said, Jesus, yes, is, is God. We believe that he's, he's the way. But an active and, if you will, an alive, vibrant relationship was just not a part of my family. And so I remember getting on my knees in that training camp dorm room at Furman University and saying, Jesus, I, I want to know you if, as Greg and Ralph just told me, that without you, I can't have eternal life. I can't have heaven. I believe in you. I'll believe in whatever an NFL tells me that I need to have eternal life. And so we would leave Atlanta, and uh, my dad was fired like normally, and we would move to the uh, Packers. My dad became the uh, defensive line coach for Bart Starr. And, and then my dad retired, and we moved back to where my mom is from, Natchez, Mississippi, that area. And then we built a lake house in Faraday, Louisiana. And I uh, began to attend the First Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi with my, with my neighbors, Peggy and Jack Benson. And they began to bring me to church to Natchez, Mississippi. How many have ever been to Natchez, Mississippi? Well, you don't find any more Southern Baptists than the First Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi. And they said, if you'll go to church with us, we'll take you to the carriage house and get fried chicken. I said, I'm going for the chicken, and I just happened to go to church. And God begins to dis again. Softened my heart to him, and I know that the Lord is speaking to me. My pastor was Brother Odin Puckett, Pastor Puckett, and he was just the opposite of everything my family is. My dad was a, a, a warrior, a football player, a football coach, just tough guy. My, my oldest brother's a two-star Green Beret. My other brother's a retired colonel in the Marine Corps, fighter pilot, and, and then Pastor Puckett. And so with that, but when he spoke, it was right to me, and I knew God was calling me, and I remember walking down that aisle of that powder blue First Baptist Church carpet, and they turned me around in front of the whole congregation on that particular Sunday morning. Joey has come to Christ today, and all in favor of receiving him into the membership of First Baptist Church, raise your hand. How many have been through that experience? And, and they accepted me right there into membership, and, and I was water baptized not that long after by Pastor Puckett, who almost died trying to water baptize me because I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now at that time. And then I found myself at LSU playing football. And that's when all the hell broke loose. And I know you're not supposed to say that word, but the reality is it's true. When you're going to school at LSU, you're not there for God and you're not there for an education. You are there to play football and to do other things. And let me fast forward. It's January the 10th, 1987. And I'm sitting on a deer stand. 
as I'm on this deer stand in the middle of the woods, all of a sudden I would have what I would describe as, as the most dramatic day of my life, sitting on that deer stand, eight feet up in the air, right on the Mississippi River, two miles south of the Mississippi River Bridge in Natchez. I'm watching tugboats go back and forth on my uncle's property, Joe Fortunato, played for the Bears for a long time. And all of a sudden I hear these words, today will be the greatest day of your life and you'll never be the same after this day. Today will be the greatest day of your life and you will never be the same after today. And I said to myself, I'm going to kill the world's largest deer and travel all over the country. <laughs> today this is going to be awesome. And, but I did not know what happened. The night before I'd gone out with my dad, that night I was planning on going out. See, God, at that point in my heart as it relates to just uh, walking with him and being in step with him, that was just not part of my life. But I knew God, and I knew that he had died for me, and I, and I actually knew that he had a plan for me, and I've always felt something in the back of my mind. Maybe God one day is going to use me in some form or some fashion. Today, Joe, will be the greatest day of your life. You'll never be the same after this day. And I finished the hunt that day. My uncle and I went back to his house, and there my aunt was waiting for me, and she said, dad, your dad just, uh, in fact, has had a heart attack. I just got the phone with your mother. They're bringing him in by ambulance to the hospital there in Faraday, Louisiana, meet him there. I get in my car and I drive across the bridge and I get to the hospital. About the same time, they're bringing my father in the back of that ambulance, bringing him out. And I said to my mom, I'll be right back. And I just walked down to that little small country hospital bathroom, if you will. And I said, Lord, I heard you today. You said today will be the greatest day of my life. I'll never be the same after this day. And I know that that is from you. And regardless of what happens to my dad, now I pray that you'll heal him. I pray that he lives. He was only 61 years of age. But God, I will, from this day forward, serve you. My dad died that day. First funeral I ever attended. And I can just tell you right now, it was the darkest day of my life. And what ends up oftentimes to be the darkest days of your life is God's days of destiny. Because what began to define me from that day forward was not that my dad died. It's not that my dad died that changed me. It's the voice of God that changed me. It was the voice of God. It was the presence of God. It was the goodness of God. And from that moment on, January the 10th, 1987, I went back to LSU and my life was different. And I began to just assemble the team. I became kind of the unofficial chaplain of, of LSU. In fact, if you were there back in the day, you might remember, I, I would, we would lead prayers before, before the national anthem. They would let us walk out. And then with 80,000 at that time in the stadium, we would, we would be given permission by the athletic department to pray. And we would just say, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this game that we're about to play. Lord, we thank you for the teams that have traveled here. We thank you for the University of Alabama. We thank you, Lord, they will be cursed. But in the name of Jesus, we are not allowed to curse. And, and uh, that was before Saban and Satan and all of those other situations. And, and, and Lord, we just pray as, as we play the game, no one will get hurt. And, and, and we just pray for traveling mercies. You know, all of the typical stuff you're supposed to pray. And then we would land the plane. And Lord, we just thank you 2,000 years ago you came to this world. And you died on the cross so that whosoever will call upon your name will be saved. And Lord, being in this stadium filled with Cajuns, we know half of them are drunk. And we just pray right now <laughs> that somehow, someway, you would get into their heart and let them know how much you love them. And God, you just said if anybody will just even call upon your name and say this prayer, Jesus coming. And we would literally lead them into prayer before every home game at LSU. And from that moment on, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And Lori and I, of course, we would meet as I had uh, graduated. And just after graduation, I had met Lori in that spring of 89. She was still at LSU. And, 
and I knew that it was ministry, moved to New Orleans and pastored there for 10 years. And then we found ourselves 10 years later, it was the spring of 2000, the Lord really directing us supernaturally again to Austin, Texas. We had been praying, God, where do you want us to go to plant a church? And we'll go and spend the rest of our life there. And one day, all of a sudden, it came. The two most dramatic days of my life, those voice, that voice of God came in such a way. It is Austin. And we would find ourselves now, as we have been 19 years ago, planting this church in Austin, Texas. And it came like, it is Austin. Now, there's been days when I thought, well, maybe he said it was Boston. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> old Texas will tell you, Austin is not in Texas. Where are my old Texas people at? Like that, that is not Texas, boy. And we're doing our best to turn them back into Texas. And we have watched God do what he's doing here at Milestone, something supernatural. But what I want to just kind of land for the next few moments is from a story, because I, I think that we can all relate. I, I know I can from that day that the Lord said, today will be the greatest day of your life and you will never be the same. I, I can also relate to the story that I'm about to share with you in the spring of 2000. It is Austin. That, that all of a sudden I found myself facing something that, uh, well, w- w- was big. It, it, was, it was massive. And, and, and the story is from the book of Joshua. In fact, not knowing that your team would sing that song, and I don't know if they knew that I would be preaching from, from what you just sang about, and that is from Joshua and Jericho. And I want to pick up the story. Look at this with me. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. Now, you've you got to understand, Joshua is, he's, he's now taking charge. He's, he's taking command from Moses. In fact, some of the first words in the book of Joshua, he said, Joshua, Moses is dead. You're the man. And of course, he had been the man. He was a, he was a warrior. He was a killer. He, he was the enforcer for Moses. Moses is up on top of the mountain seeking God and praying with his hands up. And while Moses is seeking God, Joshua is on the battlefield kicking tail. He's down there with his swords. He's down there with his berets. He's down there with his dudes. And they, they are taking territory. And now he has been the replacement to Moses. And so now, of course, they're coming into the promised land. And now they've got to face the first and that would be a type of all the cities, Jericho. Because what happens in Jericho is going to determine what happens in the rest of the cities. And so there is Joshua. He, he's overlooking, I'm sure, his, his battle plans. And he's out on the plains probably the, 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 the night before that they're going to go into Jericho. And he's out there by himself. And he's overlooking. He's, he's overseeing. And as he's there with with this situation, he looks up and he sees a man. And he sees a man standing in front of him with a, with a drawn sword in his hand. And I'm sure when he saw that, he's like, man, that's my kind of guy. But then Joshua went up to him and he goes, I want to know, wh- whose team are you on? You, you got a sword in your hand? I, I want to know what side. And, and he goes, are, are you for us or for our enemies? And, and this man, he said, neither. No. He says, uh, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And when Joshua heard that, he fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what what is the word? What's the message that my Lord has for his servant? What what are you saying to me? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now let's pick up in Joshua chapter 6. Same conversation, no break. 
Verse 1. Now the gates of the Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, as he's concluding this discussion, see, I have delivered Jericho. I I want you to look. Jericho is already in your hand, along with its king and all of its fighting men. I want to give you today five discoveries that you need to make, like Joshua, in order to arrive in or at your destination. Because if you have this discovery, in fact, I think that's what God wanted to do with Joshua. Joshua needed to discover some things. Joshua needed a revelation. God God needed to do some things in Joshua because it would forever mark Joshua. And I want to give you these five discoveries. I, I think it's true. I think you and I need to have an experience today with what Joshua had. And and it's interesting, he had an experience with a man. And I think when we look at this man, and of course theologians will tell you, Holy Spirit, type of Christ, but we all would agree, he he came from heaven. This this was a, a heavenly man. And if you were to call Jesus anything, he was a heavenly man. And let's just say it like this. He had an encounter with a living God, a, a living man, Christ himself came to this world not to give us Christianity but himself. And a lot of people, if you're not careful, you will fall in love with Christianity and never have an encounter with the man Christ. Jesus said many seek and they fact go to the scriptures seeking eternal life. They read the Bible for eternal life. They read the Bible for a good life. They read the Bible for a life that will bless them. But he says, but they fail to come to me while they read the Bible. In other words, it's very possible for us to love everything about Christianity. You love the ways, you love the laws, you love the principles, you love the life. I think all of us, we we, we would all agree that that it, it is the best life to live. But if we're not careful, we may never meet the man. And he did not come to establish another religion called Christianity. Jesus came to bring us himself. It's him that Joshua had to have an experience or a revelation of. It's him. Jesus came to bring us himself. He goes, I am the door. He he, he said, I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. The way is not a thing. The door is not a thing. In fact, to have eternal life, the Bible says, is to know him. Eternal life is to know him. It's not praying a prayer. Though we pray a prayer to have eternal life, but it is directed to have this relationship to him. Paul the Apostle said that I may know what? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may have an encounter with him. And when you and I have an encounter with him, when you have an encounter not with it, not with a thing, but with the living person of Christ, it will forever change you and you will make this discovery. Number one, when you walk with Christ personally, you will understand you are in over your head. Point number one, the first discovery is Joshua realized he is in way over his head. And this is what God loves to do with you. When you come to Christ, like we can go through the scriptures of every man and woman of God from the Old to the New Testament, Every single person, let's just say with Paul the Apostle, all of a sudden Saul, who becomes Paul, he's on this road to Damascus, and boom, in the middle of the day, he has an encounter with Jesus. 
He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you not know that it is hard for you to kick against the pricks? Don't you know, in fact, that was an apparatus that would hang behind the hindquarters of an oxen? And when an ox wanted to get itself out of the yoke, when an ox did not want to stay in the row for the farmer or for that man that was plowing, that oxen would try to kick and get out of, and when he would, he would rip the hindquarters of his oxen, or the hindquarters of his body with bones and with glass or with thorns. And literally, when that oxen wanted to disconnect from that yoke, he, he would leave bleeding. When Jesus says to Saul, 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 do you not know kicking or trying to get out of the yoke or the call that I have for your life is only destroying yourself? Don't you know you're just ripping yourself to pieces like an ox? And he goes, Lord, if that's you, my life belongs. Everything belongs to you from this moment on. And I think what captured Paul more than anything else was when he goes, who are you? And he goes, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He didn't say, you're persecuting my church. He didn't say, you're persecuting the system of Christianity. He didn't say that you're trying to stop this or stop. He goes, it's me you're messing with. It's me that you're missing. It's me. And when he saw him, that was it. And all of a sudden now he's thrown out into something that is way above him. The disciples, 120 in the upper room, were thrown out into something that was way above them. And the way that God likes to work in your life and in my life is he puts us in places that are way above us. I'm in over my head, but what you've got to realize is that's where God does his greatest work in your life. That when you say, Jesus, come into my life. In fact, how many have said that prayer? Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Let me see your hand. I just want to know. Okay. Now, how many, when you prayed that prayer, all of a sudden things began to happen that you did not expect to happen? In fact, he says this to Israel. Like a mother eagle to her young, she takes that nest that those babies are in and begins to stir the nest Literally what that mother eagle does is takes everything soft out of the nest, the down, the warmth, the comfortableness of it. And what does that mother eagle do? This is what God does. He goes, just like an eagle, I do the same thing to you. I take everything soft out of your life so that it makes you stand up and you realize something. You have wings. Because unless those things begin to prick you, unless something begins to stir you, you'll never realize the potential that's in your life. You'll never realize the call of God upon your life. And that little bird begins to stand up like, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden, this little bird begins to have to stand because it can't lay down like it used to. And then that mother takes that bird or that eaglet and throws it out of the nest. And when that bird begins to fall, that mother comes underneath and catches that baby on its back and brings it back to the nest. It will do this until those wings begin to come out of the life of that eagle. And God is always about throwing you and I out into places that are way in over our head. But that's where God is. Psalm 77. I love this psalm. In fact, look at verse 19. Your path, this is what the psalmist said, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Watch this. Though your footprints were not seen. Notice what he's saying. Your path, your way, your path is always, in the King James Version, it would say it like this, 
Your pathway, God, for my life has always been in deep places. That's where God does his work. Let God take you. In fact, let let the uncomfortable place that you might be in right now be the place where God wants to meet you like never before. You don't know how to handle this. You don't know how to handle this situation. You don't know how to handle that child, this marriage situation, this work situation. Instead of cursing it, let God say, this is the greatest day of your life. This is the greatest opportunity because it's going to make you get your wings out. It's going to make you begin to realize, God, I need you like never before. I'm in way over my head. Here's the second discovery that Joshua made and you and I need to have, and that is Joshua realized he is not alone. See, Joshua's out there by himself. You've got to realize, Joshua is a five-star. I mean, Joshua, he's, he's the man. And I'm sure he's used to uh, being what he was, and that is he's able to go to places and, and go to situations if he had to by himself, and all of a sudden Joshua realized, hey, you're not by yourself, Joshua. I'm with you. Hebrews, one of my favorite scriptures, says... He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In other words, I will never abandon you. I will never disown you. You are mine. You need to do a study of what we call the fear knots. And when you look at the fear knots, almost every fear knot has connection to it because I am with you. It's the greatest news you and I will ever have. You're not by yourself. I'm with you, Joshua. I've got you, Joshua. This, this, is, this is something that you need to deny. We all need to realize this, that he's with us. And, and we can talk. In fact, Pastor Rick, I know he talked about this last week, that, that, that he's with us in many ways. He, he's with us in the word of God. He, he's with us with the Holy Spirit. He, he's with us in our small groups. He, he's with us when, when you and I begin to, to pray. And when you and I begin to realize just by his presence alone, his presence means grace for you and for me. And just if nothing else, when Lori and I moved to Austin 19 years ago, well, we didn't have anybody that moved with us. And we arrived in a city that we had never been to except to find a little house. And we arrived in that city and 40 days, some 40 days after we got to the city in August of 2000, we planted the church like idiots. And let me just tell you, you don't do the way we did it. And we started the church on October the 1st, and and there were days when we had 52 the first Sunday, and then it got down to seven people. And we were, even our kids had gone to another church by then. They They were just like, this is not church. This is embarrassing. We left Louisiana for this. But what we knew was the Lord was with us. Why was he with us? Because we were in his will. I was in his word. And when you and I walk in his word, you will walk with him. And he backs people who walk in his will. We did not go to Austin for our dream. We went to Austin for his dream. And when you begin to connect his dream with your dream, because that's where revival is. Revival is the dream that God has for you and the realization that it is the dream that he has for you. And there's this cooperation. There's this this understanding that I am not by myself. Paul, who would later on in that story of Acts chapter 27, when all the storms are coming against the boat, Paul says, guys, we're not alone. An angel appeared to me in this boat and in this situation. He goes, guys... We're going to arrive safely because the Lord is with us. 
And maybe you've walked into this place and you feel all alone. Can I just tell you like Joshua, you are not by yourself. Here, here's the third discovery that you and I need to make if we're going to arrive at our destination. And that is, I am not in charge. Now, the, col- the control freaks in this room need to hear what I'm about to say to you. How many have a little controlling issues in your life? In fact, you wouldn't be the leader that you are unless you knew how to control, unless you were given to control. Uh, My my wife is a fantastic control freak. She she was controlling me all this morning. Now, you need to make sure this, and you need to make sure that. But we wouldn't be where we are unless this control freak was with me right over here. Now, what warrior mentality came with Joshua was he was used to working things according to his plan, and he realized real quick, He was not in charge. See, Joshua thought he was in charge. And God just came to him and said, oh, Joshua, you're not in charge. You might be a mighty warrior, and yes, I need you to war. You might be a great leader, and I need you to be a great leader. And with every one of us in this room, especially those that have leadership on them, what can happen with the blessing of leadership, what can happen with the strength that you have to make you what you are today, and and the strength that you have has given you the success that you have, but if you're not careful, you will take this to think that it is by your hand you made things come to pass. And what he says to Joshua is, Joshua, you are not in charge. I am in charge. That's why the Bible says he fell at his feet and he began to worship. Let me just say it like this. John chapter 3. Just to rehearse, John chapter 3 is the primary, the thought in John 3 is you must be born what? Again. That's Nicodemus, Nick at night. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus says you must be born again. Now, let's just move to chapter 5. John chapter 5, the predominant thought is Jesus sits down and he begins to teach them the word of God. He begins to instruct them in the ways of God. You could say it like this. He begins the Bible studies, the Sunday school program, the, the, the understanding of, of the Bible and the, and the scriptures. And, and so you've got, you must be born again, and, and now chapter 5, you must have a relationship to the, to the written word of God. But what is chapter 4? And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we go from being born again to immediately being rightfully so in love with our Bible, but we miss chapter 4. And what's in chapter 4? Those who worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. And what you and I must have in our walk is a worshipful spirit. Because if we go from being born again to only now having a relationship to the written word without worship in our spirit, I will tell you, a word life without a worship life will dry you up. Because what that does in worship, it gets your hands off of the controlling nature that all of us have. It gets our hands where? It gets our hands up. Why do you think Paul the Apostle said, I wish that every man could lift up holy hands unto God? Because he knew that every man has a controlling nature in them. And when you and I get our hands up in worship, when you and I begin to say, God, you're in control of my life, that's when God can begin to control your life. And we had to give our control to God. When we moved to that city 19 years ago, we had to give it all to God. Because the more I tried to control our church, the more that I tried to make our church grow, same thing in life, same thing in in parenting, same thing in marriage, the more we try to control the less we really are in control. 
and the more out of control things begin to take place. And it creates that, what we call that Martha spirit. I know that Pastor Rick mentioned it. In fact, I know the pastor before that mentioned this Martha Mary situation. Mary, or Martha, was a control freak. And there was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. But guess who was at peace? It was Mary. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the best part. Mary has chosen to be at my feet and she's the one that is not consumed with anxiety and with all sorts of accusations and with anger. He, what he wanted to say to Joshua was, Joshua, you are not in control. I am. Here's the fourth discovery, and, and this is a big one. Uh, listen, he, he realized he was on holy ground. In fact, he says, take your sandals off. You are on holy ground. What is holy ground? What he realized is where he was, and what he was doing was holy, even though he was a warrior. And, and I want to say it like this. Every single person, wherever you are, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, whatever your hand finds to do, and whether you are in a job that you like or not, whether you're in a season that you like or not, it's holy. And if I were to bring back to me or to you, what, what season of my life was maybe the most productive of my life? When I left LSU and I was preparing to go to seminary in New Orleans. I found myself moving back to be with my mom and I lived with my mom for about nine months and I worked in the oil field as a roustabout. I was the only guy in my crew with a tooth in his mouth <laughs> or a toothbrush. And I'm not saying people in the oil field don't brush their teeth, but my people did not. And as unholy a people I worked with, it was holy ground. Everything's holy to God. And you know what God told me? I want you to pastor these men like you are pastoring a church. I want you to treat your work that might be unholy, it might be ungodly. In fact, let me just tell you how our lunch typically worked in the oil field. We had a crew. We had a six-man crew truck. We had all sorts of things that had been uh, fabricated and, and welded. And one of the things we had was a big barbecue pit welded to the back of the crew truck. Our hope and our goal was to hit a deer on our way to the well site. And whoever, of course, was uh, assigned that day, if we happened to hit a deer, one of the guys from the crew's job was to skin and barbecue that deer for lunch. It was awesome. But what I want you to know is that wherever you are today, it's holy. Taking care of those kids, it's holy. You don't like your job, it's holy. It's holy. It's holy. Take your sandals off. In other words, take your sand, take, take that which is separating me and you. I, I, want, I want us to be one where you are right now, Joshua. Don't take a sinful attitude, Joshua, towards the place that you find yourself in. Take a righteous attitude wherever you are. Oh, I could be angry at God today. I could be mad at God saying, today's going to be the greatest day of my life. I'll never be the same. And my dad died that day. What kind of God are you? Hey, he's a good God. He's a holy God. And then the last as we close. Here's the last one. I'm already a winner. Joshua, Joshua, see the city already belongs to you. No matter where you are, the victory has already been provided done you just have to walk it out it's not for victory it's from victory 
You don't fight for victory. You don't fight for success. You live from success. And where's that success? That success is in Christ at the cross. Little did I know. Let me just give you this last little thought. 19 years ago, we moved. We had nothing, as I told you. About 2005, I said, let's believe God for 100 acres. Little would I know. Little would I know that in 1942, a man bought a piece of property, 165 acres, and dedicated 110 of it to, to, to the kingdom of God and to the family. He said, do not sell this property except for God's purposes. We did not know this. We were in prayer one day. We knock on the door of this little farmhouse. And when we did, we just said, you know what? We believe there's supposed to be a church on this hill. Does anybody know? Do you guys know who owns this property? Because we believe that there's supposed to be a great church, a church that's going to reach the na- nations on top of this hill. And the man said, how do you know? And he began to share with us. My, he says, my father-in-law bought this property in 42, dedicated to God. We had a prayer meeting in this house just yesterday, and, and we have not talked about it. And now you're knocking on the door of this house telling us that you believe that there's supposed to be a church up on this hill when we just had a prayer meeting in this, in this little house. And he says, I believe you're supposed to be the church. And I would meet with the family the next day. And they would sell us that 110 acres for $22,000 an acre where we are now on I-35 at Westinghouse Road coming into Round Rock. Let me just tell you something. God had already provided for us that property. And God has provided already for you. You've already won. Because Christ has won. With every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you would say, I believe that even now, God wants me to see that I've already won. In fact, maybe some of you are facing some of the difficult struggles of your life. Or maybe you find yourself in over your head. You find yourself beyond control. And God says, that's good. Because my son Jesus can handle it. In fact, my son Jesus has already handled it for you. And today, I pray that you'll make this discovery. Number one, yeah, all of us are in over our head. Number two, I I want all of us to understand you're not alone. Number three, I want all of us to understand we don't have to be in control because there's a God who knows how to be in control. He knows how to handle the situation. Number four, we are on holy ground And lastly, you've already won. The victory is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.